The advice and opinions expressed by the hosts of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. morning and welcome to this very special edition of Autism Live. Uh, I am sitting here with Sean Francis who is one of the just two dads. I was I was thinking about this yesterday because I get all kinds of grief when I say I'm just a mom mm-hmm. uh, and I want to talk to you about that but I was you know and I, to say it's just two dads but we just have one dad so it's even it's like, well, so I just have one of the just two dads unfortunately Brian Altunian couldn't be here with us this morning we actually were going to have Dr. Grand Pichet too it's just you know we but here we are you and I are here and we're here for the hour and I want to welcome Sean to the show we're, we have so much that we're going to talk about in just a second but I also want to welcome all of you. I know if you watch the show regularly, you know that on Mondays we kind of have carved out that it's parent to parent. But in this wonderful, crazy way, it's still parent to parent today mm-hmm. um, because uh, we'll talk about this. But both Sean and I identify um, as having a, a child on, well, and now me, an adult on the autism spectrum. I call myself a pony, Sean, mm-hmm. which stands for parent of neurodiverse individual. Did you come up with that? Uh, my I son and I that. came up with that together because over the years, yeah. how I have identified myself has changed so much, so now I'm a pony. Wow. And I kind of like it because I, I, it makes me feel like I have a big ponytail that I don't have <laughs> and I'm, that I can prance around and be a pony. Okay, <laughs> I digress. Um, but so we're going to get into it with Sean uh, and talk about many different things with him, including the Just Two Dads podcast. Mm-hmm. But before we get into all of that, I want to remind everybody we're live right now on Facebook, YouTube. Twitter, and about a dozen other sites. Our fabulous Traven is going to show you in just a second some of the different ways that you can be watching, tuning in, and watch later on in podcasts, which we love when you guys do that. And we podcast pretty much everywhere that you can download a free podcast. We are there. If you can't find us on your favorite aggregator, let us know because we'd like to be there. Um, but also want to say to you that while we're live right now, you guys can be commenting. The chat is open and I'm watching it where, especially if you are on Facebook or YouTube or Twitter, you can be right on that platform, right in, and I can see it right here. Let us know who's watching, who is in the house, uh, cause we want to be talking with you guys. I also want to make sure that I'm reminding everybody that we are officially steamrolling ahead with the Autism Network podcast-a-thon, which will start, we will, it's crazy, I know it, Um, but everybody says to me, if you're not doing the thing you're afraid of, then what are you doing? So we're doing it, and we are going to go live on April 4th at 3 p.m. I should know which hour. We're going live at 3 p.m. on April 4th, and we are going to attempt to stay live nonstop for 44 hours because the current CDC numbers are 1 in 44, which means we will sign off of that big, long podcast-a-thon at 11 o'clock on Thursday. It's going to be amazing. We are, obviously, we can't do this completely by ourselves. We're inviting a lot of other organizations and podcasts, including Just Two Dads, to take over an hour and bring their information to you guys. So you're going to want to tune in for that. We're also going to have a lot of giveaways and things like that that are going to keep it really real. We might have a couple of challenges. Um, you know, it could be really fun. So make sure you guys are tuning in for that. Please also remember to like, share, comment, and uh, subscribe on whatever platform that you guys watch so that you can be up to date. If you have not subscribed to our newsletter, you can do that on our website, autismnetwork.com. I think I got, I got through all of that, and you were so patient to sit through all of that. It's a mouthful, right? Let me tell you a little bit about Sean um, that I just have been learning, that um, he, you are originally from the United States Virgin Islands. Mm-hmm. We have to talk about that. Yes. Uh, you are a dedicated husband and family man, father mm-hmm. of seven children. That's some serious business right there. Well, that's a story in and of itself. I can't wait to hear that. Uh, And you uh, have a 16-year-old son who Mm -hmm. uh, was diagnosed with autism at the age of three, which tells me so much about, because that's pretty amazing to Mm -hmm. get a diagnosis at age three. Mm -hmm. Uh, You have over a decade of experience serving and educating families about their finances. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> uh, so exciting. Sean has served as a member of the Autism Parents Advisory Board at Children's Hospital of Los Angeles and a volunteer ambassador with Autism Speaks. He is the co-creator and co-host of the weekly podcast, Just Two Dads, which you guys have been doing that for over two years now. Yes. Sharing yes. a lot of, uh, you know, we always talk about here that we want to share information and inspiration. You mm -hmm. guys are getting it done over there. And people, uh, over the years, people have said to me, I don't understand why you're promoting other podcasts. And I don't understand that at all. Really? I'm, I know. I'm like, why? Look, no one person can cover everything. Let me ask you this. The yeah. people who ask you that, are they people that have podcasts as well, or are they people outside of that realm? I think they're people outside of that realm, and they're people who think it's like doggy makes, dog and claw claw, that, and you that can, there can sense, only then. be one podcast. But I, especially you guys, I mean, first of all, it's all about perspective taking, mm -hmm. right? And the dads have a different perspective. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, every year I learn more about how different the journey is for everybody, but especially the mom perspective and the dad perspective can be mm -hmm. just like... And really interesting to learn the other perspective, but then there's the whole financial thing. Cause well, it's it's very, it's not likely that someone that does any of this uh -huh. would have that perspective. Um, You're right. Because if you, so it's one thing to be someone that has a podcast. Period. Yeah. But if you're someone whose podcast or show or whatever your endeavor might be is created to provide information to other people. Yeah. And that's where you're coming from. Yeah. Even though maybe you want to monetize it you want it's okay to want credit for it or to be appreciated yeah outside of that uh it's not likely that someone who's of that vein would wonder why you promote other entities well, see this is why i gotta hang around more with you because you <laughs> get it no seriously and and this this whole financial thing because anybody who knows me knows this is not my area <laughs> you just said a bunch of things to me earlier and i was like i don't i you might as well have been speaking greek <laughs> I didn't understand three of the words um, uh, because you clearly have mistaken me for someone who's an adult with their finances, Sean, and that is not the case. So I have said before that if uh, if you had to have a driver's license for your finances, mine would have already been taken away. Oh, uh, so, um, yeah, it's not good. Um, but I, So I'm thrilled that you're here. We're going to talk. We have the whole hour, you guys. People have already started writing in. Uh, May says hello again from Rhode Island and good morning to Helen. We're so thrilled that you guys are here. And you guys can be writing in questions, whatever, you know, we'll, we'll see what we can answer and what we can't. But let's get started from the beginning. Um, you call it the two-minute story. And I'm yeah. going to tell you that you've got more than two minutes because we got a whole hour. But tell us about you and how you got to be sitting in this chair on Autism Live. Okay. Let me, give me about 30 seconds to make sure that I can condense. Because if I'm not, <laughs> Don't cause, condense. Because you just said that I have more than two minutes. If Brian were here, he'd tell you that's a dangerous thing. Oh, so, no, I've listened to your podcast. Is, it isn't a dangerous this thing. This is me making sure that I keep it to maybe not two minutes, but don't ramble on more than necessary. But yeah, um, I'm originally from the U.S. Virgin Islands. Um, uh, I come from a family of entrepreneurs, but givers as well. My grandfather, uh, my grandparents, um, not only did they not finish high school, I don't think either one of them made it to high school, yeah. but... They had uh, a Chrysler dealership, local transit, mm. a bunch of different businesses and things like that. And they were just very giving of their time mm. and contributing to the community. Um, and I'd love to tell you that I had this deep, profound appreciation for it growing up. But I can't do that and be honest at the same time. Because <laughs> it just wasn't true. Uh, I, I wasn't conscious of how much I took it for granted. But later on in life, I saw how much that affected me. You know, my dad... Um, um, worked for someone else for a short period of time mm -hmm. once in his life. Mm -hmm. Every job that he had was working in the family business or creating jobs for other people. Wow. Um, which, again, I didn't appreciate that as much, you know, at the time. Um, so I moved to Los Angeles originally in 1981. Mm -hmm. um, academics and I are not good friends. Wow. So. <laughs> this shocks me. Really? Because, yes, because I think of financial people as being, you know, good academic, you know, well, I think academics is yeah. often not an indicator of anything. No, it's not. And it's actually, there's so much of what we do. I mean, Brian and I, and, and a lot of what's taking place in the world right now is I think there's a lot of um, revelation that's taking place because we've got this idea about what intelligence is. We've got this idea about what success yeah. is. And those things are not necessarily what we thought they were. Yeah. And so for me, for instance, I, I was always 
physically in a classroom. I had a really good attendance record and all that kind of stuff. But mentally, I was almost never in class. Mm -hmm. And I never had a diagnosis of any kind. Mm -hmm. What I would do is really confuse and, quite honestly, probably frustrate my parents. So whenever I got a good grade, my dad would say, like, look, see, like, you could do that if you applied yourself more often. And then he would use my brother as an example. And he would say, you see these grades that he's got? He had to really work so hard to get them. And you could do the same thing if you tried, like, half as much. And he'd say that in my brother's presence, and my brother wouldn't feel belittled by it. His response would be, he's right. Mm. And I would go, yeah, okay, what time does Scooby-Doo come on? I just didn't. So that's where your brain was, with Scooby-Doo. Everywhere. As a matter of fact, I was, my dad and I had a good joke the other day because I was telling him that he would tell me, you know, um, that I had a cartoon mentality. <laughs> I just, I was just very easily distracted. So I had all kind of tutors and, and, um, I'll put it this way, I had more than one teacher whose home I was familiar with and who was familiar with our home because what they would do is they would uh, come to our home, I'd go to theirs, you know, on weekends, sometimes evenings and things like that uh-huh. to tutor me and try and figure out, well, this kid speaks and seems to communicate well and everything. Why is it that he's just struggling with these grades? Yeah. And children are very um, uh, transparent and honest, which yeah. is, you know, they like you, they do, they don't, they don't. And so when a teacher might ask a question, um, it might be, this is exaggerating, but here's an example. They would say, what is the capital of, the capital of such and such is so and so. And the teacher would look and see that I wasn't paying attention. And then the, and then they would say, Mr. Francis, what is the capital of so and so? And I would right. do one of two things. Attempt to answer, knowing that I missed the answer, mm. and it would be incorrect. Or I would say, I don't know. Either way, what it would do, unless the answer was right, was elicit a laugh. Right. Like big laughter from everybody. Right. And, you know, and growing up in the 70s, there were several things that took place. People would use the word dumb as um, as though it was just green or blue. Yeah. Like so-and-so's, yeah. so-and-so's dumb. They're not really smart or yeah. something like that. And so um, I just wasn't, I just wasn't there. And, in the, and coming from the Virgin Islands, every, I should say everybody, but most everyone, Either your family owned a business or you at the very least, um, or, or you worked um, for the local government. Okay. Or at the very least, you got a four-year degree, bare minimum, bare minimum. Okay, everybody. Everybody. So it's either like you know, a four, uh, four-year degree or you went on to you know, get a master's, go to okay. law school, become a doctor, med school, whatever the case might be. Or you owned a business. Right. Okay. Or, or you worked for the, like, the local government, which got was a, you know, like a pretty secure right. job at the time. And so people would you know, drive around with little stickers or decals on the back of their car that would say, like, property of such and such a university. And so uh, everybody, so people, yeah. so just like people would talk about, oh, so where do you live? Where are you from? Do you come here often? The common vernacular there was also, um, so what are you studying? Or where are you going to school? Right. Or sometimes they'd even be, where'd you go? It was all about upward mobility. And my thought was, like, if I don't get a four-year degree, then it's like, well, what's yeah. kind of wrong with me? And my first dream and goal was always to be in entertainment. Um, That was what I wanted to do. I wanted to sing. I wanted to write. I wanted to be out there on stage. Well, I thought I wanted to be out there on stage, but I don't know if I had the nerve to do it. But I I thought I had music within me that the world might want to hear. In the mid-80s, I moved to Minneapolis. I lived there for 10 years, and I had the pleasure of working on a couple um, uh, prints projects and got a chance to be in that environment and everything. So you knew Prince? What? I met him and had very few and brief conversations with okay. him. So now, More than I did. Well, if he, okay. were, if he were with us, if you were to ask if he knew me, I don't think that'd be the case. But there are people okay. that were in, you know, a okay. part of his organization that know me. You know, I have friends there and stuff. That's super cool. So that, that I think cool. I would put that in the bio. Well, I, I, I <laughs> <laughs> find a way to do that. But I, I did that and then um, moved back to Los Angeles in 96. And um, in between chasing dreams of entertainment and stardom and that kind of thing, I, you know, you had jobs here and there. A lot of them were in customer sa- service and sales and things of that sort. And I began working for a company in uh, by 2000 or 2001 uh-huh. um, that was the largest mortgage lender in the com- a country at the time, uh, okay. Countrywide Home Loans. And at a very interesting time, too. Very interesting time. Yeah. So I began working in a branch where my job was to kind of um, issue uh, checks to brokers, um, yeah. re- release them. 
And I didn't know anything about it. I kind of got thrown into the fire. It was the most scary slash wonderful growth experience. So yeah. I had a real a lot of support and everything. But I could only go but so far. And around that time, my now wife and I met. She had two daughters from her previous marriage. Okay. And um, I remember her talking about how important it was for a parent to be at home and that kind of thing because she was when her daughters were younger. Yeah. And I thought, that sounds good, sounds great. Um, she also made a comment or two about how important life insurance was. And I was like, yeah, I, I guess that's important. Because my whole thing was I, I, I had developed a fear of death also. Yeah. And my dad growing up would tell me things like, you know, I'm not going to be here forever. You're not going to be here forever. Every day we're closer to dying. And I'd be like, dude, I, I <laughs> get me to the cartoons. I don't right. understand that. But I've come to realize since that I have such an appreciation for it because the sooner we have acceptance that this is temporary, the more focus we can give and put towards making the most out of this. Yes, but you know that for you know the special needs parents, mm -hmm. there's a there because we need to live forever and never die. Well, that's where the gift came in for me. So um, I kind of topped out at Countrywide, meaning I was making as much as I could possibly make in the given position. Mm -hmm. And once a month, they'd have these um, celebrations where you know for somebody's birthday or something like that, and they would share with you how many billions, not millions, but billions of dollars of worth of loans had been funded in just the division that we were in. Wow. And I would go, all right, I need to kind of look around. So I had my resume on the market as well as within the company because mm -hmm. they were nationwide. You can get opportunities anywhere. Yeah. And I couldn't quite find anything. And I kept getting responses for, um, uh, to my resume for financial advisor or mm -hmm. you know, financial services. And I was like, ooh, just, that's just not me at all. Then I got to thinking, what is it about what, I've, what I do that would lead them to think that, I could do something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, my job actually, you know, called for me to serve as a liaison between a local branch mm -hmm. of Countrywide and a local um, uh, mortgage broker. Okay. And so I thought, okay, maybe that makes sense. And that intrigued me a little more. And at the time, my wife and I had now become married and my son was now on the way. And I was like, okay, I want to make more and I kind of want to control my time. And so I yeah. went to a job fair and was approached by a company called, um, I say the name, yeah, AXA Advisors, doesn't okay. matter. And they're a traditional broker-dealer. I didn't know what traditional broker-dealer even meant, Yeah. right? But what it meant is the way the industry works is um, a advisor or agent usually works in what you call a captive environment, meaning if you walk into, a, if you were walking to a bank yeah. or some, any company that offers financial services, whose products do you think they're probably going to recommend? Theirs. Theirs. Theirs yeah. only. So yeah. that means that, that, in, that they're captive. They have a limitation on how many things they can offer. They're also interested in assets under management. What do you have that I can invest now? Mm -hmm. And we'll charge you a fee just to sit down with you. We'll charge you maybe a fee for the investment also. Yeah. And the firm will, will make money, whether you make a lot, make some, right. lose some, or lose all. These are all the commercials that we see all the time about, are you, you know, how many fees have you, yes. Right, exactly, yes. exactly. Okay. So, that, so that takes place. And I was kind of in and had agreed to work with them when I got exposed to an opportunity that consisted of a holistic approach where there wasn't a fee for the service. Um, there wasn't a captive environment, meaning you have relationships and access to a bunch of different companies that everybody's yeah. heard of to provide what I just said is holistic, meaning yeah. you're not just talking about assets under management. You're talking about life insurance, short-term savings, right. long-term savings, um, which includes retirement, estate planning as well, right. debt elimination, including student loans, credit card, and tax debt as well, all of that from one place. And I thought, that's important. I think I want to do that because I get to control my time and I can leverage this platform to do that. And then I thought, well, if it's important for neurotypical families to have yeah. that, it's twice as important to ours. And uh, our son Elijah, his diagnosis was new at that point in time. Mm -hmm. So that was... 16 years ago, and what's happened wow. in that time is, one, I got over myself because my first thought was, <laughs> what if I sit down with somebody and I just, or even just tell them what I do, and they, and if for half a second they question my intention or my integrity, I, I just don't think I could deal with that. Yeah. And for, this is something that I think most people, most viewers will be able to relate to, whether they're 
atheist or regardless of what faith they belong to. Mm-hmm. At some point it hit me, I thought, some people have questions as to whether Jesus was a prophet or an actual um, product of divinity, whatever the case is. But everybody, even atheists, agree that he was somebody whose intentions were best, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But his intentions were questioned to the point of death. Mm-hmm. And I'm a mere mortal. So I thought, just, and I don't, and I'm not a practicing Christian. I just, I'm just a faithful person. So I don't know why I came up with that analogy, but I just thought, I'm a flesh and blood. Who am I to think that my intentions are not going to be questioned by anyone? And the more worry I give to what someone will think of what I'm going to say, mm-hmm. the less I will have to give to someone who will value what I do have to say and will wonder, oh my gosh, where have you been? And then now going back to this whole fear of death, the thought was like, and, and when our son was born, this is before, um, before any diagnosis, because he was diagnosed with autism at three. Before he was diagnosed, I would have these thoughts and visions of dangerous things happening to him mm-hmm. that are like impossible unless we go on a safari or something. Right. Like I would literally think of these wild animals just like, like what if this happens? Because your children make you so strong yet so weak. And I would have all of that. My wife had been through that to an extent. But the other thing is having had girls also, and I just think this is just going to be praise to her. She's just, she's just amazing. and She's really smart and intuitive. And she just noticed that certain things weren't quite right. I thought everything he was doing was fine. He wasn't making eye contact, wasn't making milestones and things like that. So anyway, I get started in financial services and there's this, you know, upheld battle with it to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, because I'm a salesperson that, in that if I go someplace and have a good experience, I want everybody to know. Yeah. So I'll support your business. It's like, oh my gosh, this is great. You need to check that out. I'm not a good salesperson in that. You need to sell this product. It sells at a premium, which means that if you sell it, you will make so much money in terms of commission or whatever the case is. It tastes horrible, but it's bad for you. But yeah. you, you'll make a lot, and you need to sell a certain amount of them in order to keep your job. Right. That I could never do. I'm with um, you. And, and that's difficult. But what's happened in the last 16 years is got over myself. Um, Brian got started working um, with our firm, and when that took place, he approached me one day and says, hey, I know that you have a son on the autism spectrum. My daughter has been diagnosed, and she at that she, now she's 26. Six or 27, I believe, but she was diagnosed at the age of three, and he was familiar with IEPs and everything, and he says, have you ever thought about taking what we do and putting something together for the special needs community? I said, I'm trying to get approval for that right now. Would you like to do it together? So we did that. That's happened in the last 16 years. The other thing that happened in the last 16 years is that my wife and I became first legal guardians, then adoptive parents to my sister-in-law's four children. Wow. Um, and so that's where the whole justification for changing my last name to Jackson, Walton, or Osmond came from in terms of having seven children. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I'm not going to change it. <laughs> I lo- what an amazing story. So the range of ages on the kids is what? 16 to 30. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's, and uh, so along the way... Because you don't look old enough to have a 16-year-old, <laughs> let alone a 30-year-old. Well, that, uh, mean, that, that I, I appreciate that. I will be, in September, I will be 59. Stop. Well, yes. you don't look it. <laughs> uh, you don't look it at all. Well, they're only numbers. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yes. But yeah. uh, I just turned 60, so See, the, I, the numbers get real but real. But you know what? That it's, <laughs> perspective is something else. And that's another thing. I think getting older is a superpower because the older I yeah. get, the more... Even if sight dares to go, yeah. my vision gets clearer. Like when you tell me that you're sick, that you're 60, I'm kind of like, what does that actually like really look like? And this is going to sound corny, but it's as true as it is corny. I think if you go out each day determined to look for the beauty and people around you, yeah. and I'm not saying that I succeeded at it all the time. I get pissed off when I get cut off in traffic like anybody else. Yeah. But if you seek it, you find yourself seeing things that aren't uh, that may have been right in front of you, especially Mm -hmm. in other people and qualities that you didn't necessarily see before. Um, But I also, I'm so appreciative of what we do because, you know, when we started this initiative, I had, um, there's an event that CBS puts on at their studios. um, Stephanie's Day. Yeah, Stephanie's Day at uh, Radford. Um, And I happened to go to that event and I was handing out flyers for a financial awareness event that we had. And when I got to a booth for Children's Hospital, the young lady that was there, 
said to me, would you, you know, we got to talking and mm-hmm. gave her the flyer and she said, would you like to consider being on our board? And I was just like, board? Like, we'd been talking for a couple of minutes here. Mm-hmm. Now, there was a vetting process I had to go through, but eventually that's how I became a sitting member of the Autism Parents Advisory Board of Children's Hospital of L.A. And it's a mouthful, but, you know, we would meet once a month and sort of gather and talk about ideas about, like, funding and research and things of that sort, but I felt like what I was contributing was kind of, you know, limited in a sense, and, I'm, mm-hmm. and, I, and I don't mean to bash anybody that was part of that or, or anything, but I felt like, um, I felt like my contributions were kind of limited somewhat, but once I started taking a look at what Brian and I were beginning to do as far as our financial um, yeah. initiative for special needs families, I thought there was more impact there. And then the other thing we realized is just in our conversations, I, one of the things that we have in common is we're a little more transparent than I think most men usually are and also a little more vulnerable. And we just thought, you know, maybe people might want to hear this one day. And then one of Elijah's um, former teachers told me that she went on a camping trip, met this dad that had a podcast for special needs dads and that he wanted, she wanted to connect us. And so we connected with these two gentlemen, did an episode of their show, they recorded it, and we're like, oh, that's fantastic. When is it going to be, you know, released? And they said, we'll keep you posted. Oh, and no. Did it never happen? They just never released it. They recorded oh. several episodes. Don't know how many guests they had. And then we heard ourselves, and we were like, that's not too bad. And then we got to thinking that that kind of makes sense to have. And so we just started doing these Facebook Lives. And I always tell people, the first couple ones, you can, we're actually tapping on the mic, like <laughs> the camera. It, we, I think... I think we're on. Can you see me? Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah, I can hear you. So then we started talking about things. And then after being invited to other podcasts, uh-huh. you know, we learned about ways that it's put out there and everything. And so in that, you know, it grew from there. And now it's been about two years and a hundred and I think 20, maybe six episodes. And we're still trying to figure it out as we go. It's amazing, though, because you're filling a need. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think you hit the nail on the head when you said that, you know, a lot of dads, it's a different experience. And it's something that we've tried to cover here as much as possible, but it's hard. Mm-hmm. You know, to... I always go back to, you know, my experience of, of this journey so different from my husband. And my husband is somebody who's very willing to talk about his feelings Um, but I love it when he does something with somebody else and to Mm -hmm. listen what he says to them because he'll say things to them that he just doesn't say. He's probably not even conscious that he's not saying that to you. Yeah, right. And and so I think anytime we have an opportunity to talk to dads, it feels special. It feels Mm -hmm. like, oh, one of them's going to speak, you know, (laughs) which is crazy to think at this day and age. But I also think that the other part of it is is that um, because it is... I, I just think the way girls are raised, you know, from the very early age where a baby doll is thrust into our arms and we're told, take care of your baby, you mm-hmm. know, and then play act all the things out from it, um, you know, and how, do, how does your baby feel? How do you feel? And all those things. Mm-hmm. And I, we tried to raise my son a little bit more that way and thrust the baby doll at him and said, take care of the baby doll, take care of your dog, take right. care of the whatever. Uh, and talk about those feelings. But I don't think that a lot of men were raised with that. So we we want to talk about our feelings, but we desperately want to hear what it feels like for the for the men. But, so before mm-hmm. we're done, I'm going to ask you a bunch of things sure. about that because we're it's always, you know, it's it's terrible. I don't mean to make this analogy, but it's almost like when you, you see a rare animal in the zoo and you want to know everything about them. Mm-hmm. This is how we are about men's feelings about being special needs dads. That's literally, we go, oh, we're seeing the, the snow white tiger in the cage. Uh, I want to <laughs> I want to do a shout out here. Sarwar says, I hope all is well. Thank you for everything that you do. Listening to you is truly therapeutic and gives me hope for my son. Would you be able to provide a list of places where we can apply for grants? Um, you know, and that's something that we, we can talk about together. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gasha says, how do I help my son when he's trying to learn something he struggles with in school and will physically hurt himself because of struggling with it? We can also talk about that. And, but Driven Autism Dad, who I, I actually i am going to be reaching out to later on today. He sent me an email this morning. Uh, he says it is a different experience. It absolutely is a different experience. Yeah. Um, we're going to talk about finances and, and, and those kinds of things here in just a second. 
Um, but for Sarwar, do you guys deal at all in grants? Is that something that you guys... Not directly, no. But um, there is... Um, well, I would want to know what type of grants he's referring mm-hmm. to, um, for one. Uh, if you're looking at... Um, in terms of planning for future and things of that sort, there is um, uh, an account, uh, there's an act called the ABLE Act. Yes. Um, and uh, if you are familiar, if you had, if you're receiving benefits, the most common one being SSI, mm-hmm. um, and you have, which is bizarre to think it was ever this way, but if you had, uh, I believe it was anything above $2,000 in a given account, that could affect or eliminate the SSI benefits. The ABLE Act was put into place so that one can put a considerable amount of money that is above the $2,000 into that account without affecting the benefits. Now, the thing about the ABLE Act is that the accounts are administered at the state level. Mm-hmm. Some states, uh, you're required to be a resident of that state, um, but there are other states where you, you are not required to be a resident of that state. For instance, uh, California has, there, there are other states, so we're here in California, there are other states whose accounts and the way that it is administered are, you know, maybe a little more beneficial, depending on whatever it is that one may need. So maybe in one's best interest to have an account in open in a different state other like, than the one, other than like the one that they live in. Right, whatever the case might be, yeah. right? It all depends on what the person's needs are. Now, the other thing is that people should know that the way the accounts work, let's say someone has that account and they've got a considerable amount of money, and they're, God forbid, that family member, child, whoever the case might be, passes away. They take the money from that account to pay for final expenses, right? Mm -hmm. Once they do that, whatever is left over, in most, I'm not sure if it applies to all, but in most most states, whatever funds are left over, the state can recoup those funds. Now, that is not a reason to say, ooh, don't get those accounts, but it is one reason why the account is one piece of a complete financial picture so as opposed to the, the whole, whole thing. Picture. Right. Okay, you just blew my mind with things that I don't know. I want to say, though, to Sarwar, we used to have a list of grants, but I will tell you um, that one of the things that happened was in the pandemic, a lot of the places that did grants changed. Mm-hmm. Um, so we don't the two, the two grants that we really talk about on a regular basis here um, are... Uh, the one from Act Today, which is the the grand Dr. Grampichet founded that charity, and it is not an open grant phase right now. But we will let you know the next time it is an open grant phase, and you can apply for a grant of up to five thousand dollars. It's why we support Autism Care Today here, and we do fundraising for them um, mm-hmm. because they've been able to give uh, almost two million dollars worth of grants to families for very specific things. They don't just give the money to you. You say, we would like an iPad. Mm -hmm. And you show them where you want to buy the iPad from. And if your grant is chosen, then they buy the iPad for you. Mm -hmm. It's that kind of a thing. And that's Dr. Doreen Grampichet's charity. The other one that we talk about a lot is the United Healthcare Children's Fund that is a grant up to $5,000 for medical things. Mm. It's very specific um, criteria, so you should go visit them. You do not have to have... United Healthcare as your uh, insurance, um, but you have to have insurance. It's the oddest thing. Interesting. You, it, you can't get it if you're solely Medicaid, mm. uh, which it's a very interesting grant. Yeah. But go check it out uh, so that you can see. Those are really the only two grants that I am aware of that are really reputable and that you have a good chance of getting one in this moment. But if, if you guys know of other ones, please let us know because I want to start a list again. Um, and then this is a really, I, I almost, gosh, I almost want to save your question for tomorrow when we have Dr. Doreen here to talk about struggling with school and physically hurting himself because of struggling with it. But since both of us have sons that are on the spectrum, mm-hmm. um, I don't want to leave you completely to wait till tomorrow, but Dr. Grampichet is the behavior expert and we'll ask for that question tomorrow. Um, I don't know anything about your son and I want to be respectful Mm -hmm. about, you know, his, his life being private and whatever. And I'm always trying to be respectful about my son, although I talk about him way (laughs) too much on this show. Um, but certainly early on, uh, my son was diagnosed at two and a half. So right about the same time as your son, Mm -hmm. um, school was not necessarily his favorite thing. And we had some behavior because of, of school, 
I'm a big advocate of really good quality ABA, which just sets off like all kinds of things with people. Yes. People have such emotions about, mm -hmm. but really good quality ABA that that addresses the child's need. Mm -hmm. If somebody is struggling at school, I'm a former school teacher too. Um, if somebody's struggling at school, it's not their fault. It's because the needs have not been met. Right. And you can go at it many different ways. I would certainly be asking for an IEP uh, to go in and address what is actually happening, if, if there needs to be more support, mm -hmm. if there needs to be tutoring. Does if he have an aid? Right. All of these things. But um, if you're getting to the point where they're physically hurting themselves, then it's, that is communication saying, this is not going how I want it to go. Right, right, right. Um, so, and we'll certainly talk about that with Dr. Grampiche, but I would start with an IEP. What do you want to say? I would say the same thing. It's like, I don't know. I have more questions than answers. You know, is, yeah. is there an IEP? Uh, what kind of therapy is taking place? I heard something from one of our guests that you know you you hear something and you might not have heard these words put together that way before yeah, yeah. and it's not like oh my gosh i didn't know that it's like i knew that but didn't realize it which is that behavior is communication yes you know yes. so like like you said the needs not being met so what does the team consist of yeah yeah so those are those are some of the questions that i would uh, i i would ask and you know want to know and then i'm i'm curious when you say when they say self harm are they talking about headbanging, like cutting themselves or something of yeah. that nature? Is it as a result of being frustrated by not, quote-unquote, getting whatever it is that's being taught? Um, is there something that needs to be done with regard to how it's taught to them in terms of an, uh, an accommodation of some kind? Yeah. Uh, all good questions. I know Dr. Yeah. Grampiche would want to know what the self-harm was to. Mm -hmm. um, because everything we do, we do for a reason. And if sometimes, a lot of times, self-harm is for attention, mm -hmm. but not always. Right, right. Um, sometimes, I mean, we see kids who will hit themselves in the head. Right. And it's not for attention. It's because they have a headache. And mm -hmm. that momentary hitting yourself in the head alleviates the pain right. for just a second. Right. Um, but no matter what it is, it's something that has to be addressed. Mm -hmm. and, and almost always you need some help and support to do that. It's yeah. very hard to do it on your own. Definitely. Um, so I would start asking for help and support. Okay, I mm -hmm. want to talk a little bit about, so you, you touched on it a little about how your son got the diagnosis, that maybe your wife was seeing it before you she were. She th saw things that, that um, weren't adding up in terms of eye contact and things mm -hmm. of that sort. So we went to his pediatrician, and he said, some of the symptoms that you're, com you're sharing with me are symptoms of a normal, healthy child. Some of those very same symptoms mm -hmm. of a norm, normal or behaviors of a normal healthy child mm -hmm. are also symptoms of autism. Mm -hmm. So we're like, Interesting. so then what do we confusing. do? <laughs> so he says, yeah. what, do you, what you would do is you'd get him an early intervention. And at this time they told us that they typically don't diagnose prior to the age of three, which is interesting because your son is older and his diagnosis took place prior to the age of three. Yeah. We were told that it usually doesn't happen beyond that. Now this is a pediatrician that said that, so... That might have been his experience. So needless to say, we got him into early intervention. We got him into feeding therapy, um, ABA. He received therapy, it was like five days a week, at the Child Development Center in Woodland Hills. Okay. And then we would have a um, session at home as well. So right. in the morning at that, at that facility, and then they would come to the home in the evening as well. And we've been blessed all throughout with great teachers, great therapists. We've had one or two instances where there wasn't really a match and just went in another direction. Yeah. But it hasn't been the nightmare that I know a lot of other people have experienced. Uh, yeah. But again, our biggest nightmares are somebody else's dreams. So, you know, it, it's all perspective. Yeah. But those things took place. And the one thing we talk about whenever each of us talks about our story, Brian and I, when we do our financial presentation... Um, because you got to think, the money and everything is just like secondary when it comes to everything. Money gets us to what's the most important thing in life. So what's really most important is us. So when we talk about the story as opposed to just presenting and giving people some you know, pitch on concepts or products or anything like that, we talk about our story. And the one thing that we all talk about, which we can all relate to, is the day of diagnosis. And so what happened in our case was um, we were getting to arriving at a point where we were going to know what the diagnosis was. And we hadn't heard from the doctor's office. And my wife was at work. 
Um, and uh, I remember getting the financial services business and service off the ground was there was no special needs component to it at that point in time the diagnosis hadn't come yet and she was at work and I called the doctor's office yes uh, my son is Elijah Francis I'm calling to find out about you know his diagnosis but you know you know where things are and the girl that answered the phone said what's the name again and I told her and she says give me let me put you on hold for just one moment she put me on hold and she came back and she said let's see uh yes 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 he 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 has autism that's how you heard? Exactly. It was like it was like like she was trying to verify that <sighs> that mushrooms came with the pizza. Wow. And I'm a person who's rarely left for a loss of words, and if I feel anything that's emotionally painful, uh, and the older I get, the more true this is, and the easier it takes place. Tears will flow. The same thing with joy. I didn't have any words, and I didn't have any tears, and I was right in the middle between. So what does that mean? His speech wasn't where it was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And without a diagnosis, I'm already thinking of this whole, like, crocodiles eating him and these just, just weird things that can't happen yeah. where you're just like, what if this happens? What if that happens? And you have this just this cocoon mentality right away that begins as you're out in public and you're kind of just, you know, and so that's where that took place. And we've gotten over most of that, but... Um, I had a little bit of a flashback the other day just thinking because we went out to eat for um, the youngest of our girl's birthday. And mm-hmm. he had to go to the bathroom a couple times. Yeah, you know, he had drank a lot of water and stuff at the table. And as we go, I could see people. It wasn't the most uncomfortable thing, but I could see people kind of looking, trying to figure out, why has he got one ear covered and the other arm around his dad's shoulder? And why is he walking with him? Like, like why is he taking him to the bathroom? He's got facial hair. I don't. You could see people just kind of trying to figure it out. But it didn't make me uncomfortable. It just made me stop and think about it. But I have had instances where people look, and I, I've actually said politely once, a time, once or twice, you know, like, it's not the most polite thing to stare, but if you do, you should at least either ask a question or at least blink. Because mm. <laughs> you, you could see people just kind of like, yeah, you know, and in our dealings, again, I still, I try to keep the perspective, again, that your worst nightmares are somebody else's dreams if you sit in a circle and everybody wrote their biggest problem on a piece of paper and threw them in the middle you'd find yourself begging for yours back yeah. you know somebody always has it worse so we haven't had My the worst always said that yeah so we haven't had the worst experiences you know relatively speaking but at the same time you own them because yeah. it's that bad to you because it's based on your um your perspective i remember we'd go to the park and as we leave the, we're leaving the park because no matter how long we were there at a certain age because I was the one that would take him. I had more control, you know, of my time, more flexibility. Yeah. So we'd go to the park, and whenever it was time to leave, whether we were there for an hour, two, three, or four yeah. hours, doesn't matter, it was always too soon to leave. Yeah. And he would scream and pitch a fit, mm-hmm. and people would look, and I'm like, I know they're looking at me wondering, is that his kid? Because oh. <laughs> it would look like he was being kidnapped or whatever, yeah. you know? Yeah. But we have to pay attention to our gifts, too. So when we were faced with the circumstances that led us to um, become legal guardians to and eventually adopt my sister-in-law's kids, you know, your gifts come in their weirdest packages too. Uh, but you have to pay attention to know that. So when they came to us, his vocabulary was a, l- a little limited. Um, but even him saying no, no, and wanting to hoard my wife because he didn't want to share his mom, yeah. that was an improvement. And I think he would be verbal anyway, but we don't know if he would be where he is verbally if his cousins didn't become his siblings. Yeah. So you never you never know. Amazing. Well, I love your point of view. We're, we're getting close to being out of time, and we haven't yeah. really talked about the financial stuff, which is, <laughs> is no mystery because I avoid that kind of stuff. But it says here that we, we should talk about basic financial literacy, and I'm yeah. avoiding that because yeah. I think that I'm not, um, and how it affects the special needs families in particular because it does. Well, the this first is a thing big part of it, the finance. Yes, yeah. The first part is um, the first thing before you get into like anything is just thinking of mindset, right? Yeah. So how we look at money has a lot to do with our experience. The way that so you're familiar with the, the five love languages? Yes. Right. Yes, so we talk about that here. So those that are familiar with it knows that the book is by Doctor. I think his first name is Mark. Doctor Chapman. That says that. And I, while I don't know all the languages. 
And you could say love, you could say money, you could say whatever. Our language with anything is based on our experience, right? So the love languages include acts of affection, acts of service. If you grew up in a home where parents were affectionate, hugging each other, kissing each other, affectionate with you, then one of your love languages will be that. If you grew up in a home where the love language is acts of service, I go to work every day, I provide. You can have a couple who are each speaking a love language, but one is French and one is English, essentially, because one feels like there's no affection. The other feels like, well, I'm telling you I love you by providing. So the same thing is true of money with regard to, you know, if you grew up in a home where, let's say, even if it's, and we're talking about just mindset and energy, not even, um, uh, gosh, the amount that you have. Let's say you grew up in a home where there's very little money. Money is hard to come by. And what you hear all the time is money doesn't grow on trees. Money is tight. Money, then what you think is money is tight. If you grew up in a home where money is plentiful and you have a lot of everything and nobody says anything about it, then you think that not only that money is plentiful, but you don't necessarily have an appreciation for it, especially if you're not put in a situation to work for it. Yeah. So it's like being, being broke is a um, mindset. Being poor is temporary. Yeah. Right. So all of those things, if you take that now, you then add a special needs diagnosis to it, depending on the severity of it. Money may be the last thing you want to talk about. But the bottom line is we're never going to be as young as we were when I began the sentence that I just said. <laughs> That's true. Never. Right. That's true. So unless you know a guy with some jacked up hair and a DeLorean, you can't get the time back. Oh, yeah. So the best time to start thinking about any kind of financial literacy like is now. So what should a plan consist of? It should be uh, a holistic one. In terms of everything, I mentioned that um, most firms in our industry look at assets under management. In other words, what can you invest where they make money? And then there usually has to be a minimum. And that minimum is anywhere from $100,000 all the way up to a million. So if you Which don't. Which lets a lot of us out. Completely. Yeah. And then, so even for those who have that minimum and considerably there, um, more, yes. they're still in a limited situation because your, your agent or advisor that's sitting down with you is in what I refer to as the captive environment where they work and right. represent one company. And then on top of that, they're charging the fee. So even the wealthy aren't necessarily like served per se. There isn't a relationship that's built. And then with the quota having to be met, before ink is dry on any transaction, they're off on to the next person. Right? Right, right, But what a plan should consist of just overall is uh, proper protection, which is just code or a nice word for life insurance. And because yeah. we don't like to talk about departure, uh, that can be a tough one to deal with. Yeah. But it is as important as it is difficult to talk about. Yeah. And once it's put in place and you talk about and you have a plan in place, there's a certain amount of peace of mind that can be given. People will have discussions about permanent life insurance versus Term life insurance. Yeah. Term is temporary, so it's for a period of time, 10 to 25 years usually. Yeah. Right? And what people, some people will say, well, uh, permanent policies cost more and life insurance companies make more money on those. Well, that's a myth and it's not true. Okay. What's true is that life insurance companies make more money on term policies. Do you know why? I don't know why. Because in most cases, the person that is insured will outlive the policy. So the money all goes to them. It's all right. profit. Right. And what because what happens is life insurance is something that you have to qualify for based on lifestyle, health, uh-huh. age, uh, gender, all those things. So if you buy get a policy today, whatever you're paying for it, once it's approved, and you shouldn't you shouldn't be in one where the, the premium, which you pay per month, changes. Those things exist. Yeah. But it makes no sense to be in anything like that. Yeah. But whatever you get into, you're approved at the rate um, that uh, is is in line with your age today, okay. right? So when the term is ended, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, whatever the case might be, policy's gone away. Even if you're the healthiest person on earth, you're still 10 to 20 years older, yeah. which means you're more of a risk to insure. Which so you can't get reinsured. You, well, you can get reinsured, but the premium is going to be considerably higher because it's for the rate of someone that is older. So for instance... A child. Some people would say, why would you ever get life insurance for a child? That's, not, that, that, that's horrible. Well, there's two things. We can never be replaced. None of us. Yeah. But our income can be replaced. And then the one thing I thought before getting into this industry is, you know, life insurance is for having money 
for final expenses to make sure that no one has to have a GoFundMe, which yeah. is taxable depending on the state that you live in, yeah. or a car wash. Yeah. Life insurance avoids that. But mod life insurance not only has living benefits, but the other thing it does is there's a peace of mind where you can say, look, you can call your boss and say, I know that I have um, a certain amount of time for, you know, uh, for, what's the word I'm looking for? Not grievance. What is the word? Um, bereavement. Yeah. Right? I have a certain amount of time for bereavement. I need more than that. I don't know how much I need, but I'm not ready to come back to work. And if you need to fill my position, you go ahead and do what you need to do. I'm going to do what I need to do because the policy takes care of that. Yeah. Right? Um, and, you know, most people just don't think about those things. So there's, you know, life insurance policies that carry benefits like long-term care where you can actually grow money in it without any risk of losing the money, where the, actu the money actually grows tax-free. And depending on the state that you're in and how the policy is structured, it can also be put together in a manner that does not affect one's benefits that they're receiving either. So the question that you always are asking is, like, who's going to take care of my child when I'm not here? And I've arrived at the conclusion that I don't know if anyone ever will. Um, so the first thing is to accept that nobody's probably going to love them the way that you will. But the closest you can get to it is having some kind of plan in place that addresses that. Yeah. So like, there's life insurance there. There's then short and long-term savings. Short-term savings is usually three to six months of your income that's put aside. Um, in a best-case situ situation, as much as, as, a, as a year put aside in case of an emergency. So some people are probably watching this thinking, how can I put aside that much? Yeah. Well, for some people, they're not making enough money. For some people, it just means taking a look at what they're spending and reallocating that. So for some, it's a little more simple than others. For some, it's a little more complicated. Um, and then long-term savings is having money someplace that will actually outpace inflation. So inflation prior to the pandemic was, I don't know, I think maybe around 6% or something like that during the pandemic. Since then, it's gone up to about... Mm, eight, nine percent. Mm. So for those that are watching and maybe wondering what that is, I'm sure most people know, but inflation is obviously just, you know, the value of a dollar, the cost of goods. When we were younger, you know what a stick of gum oh. or, or a pack of gum cost. So how much it, a tank of gas. Right. There you go. So what sake. happens is if we're the rate that the money grows at is not outpacing inflation, you essentially have a hole in your pocket. And banks aren't bad per se, but the banking industry kind of, you know, that's a good place to um, put money that's secure in terms of not necessarily losing it. But banks, in terms of a rate of return, it's not necessarily going, they don't offer vehicles that offer, you know, a great, the greatest and most competitive rate of return. But you can rest assured that they're making a fair amount of money on what you put in there. For instance, when you put your money in the bank, what do you think they probably do with that? Lend it to other people. The, ex exactly. Including you. Yeah. At an interest rate that is anywhere from 10% or more in the form of a credit card or whatever the case may be. And then they also have professional money managers. So they're making money on your money. Yeah. So it's not a place to grow money. If you choose to do so, it's a somewhat safe place to put money. And I say somewhat because if you look at your statement, it'll also tell you that you're insured for, I believe now it's up to $200,000. Mm -hmm. Anything above that, there is not necessarily insured by yeah. the FDIC. I don't really have that worry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but by, by the FDIC. But the, yeah. other, the other thing is, it also literally says they can pay you back in a reasonable amount of time. There's no definition as to what that is. So it, it, it's just like any other decision you make, one should be making an informed one. So there's yes. other places that you can put money where it'll outpace inflation, get competitive rates of return, that in some cases even have a guarantee that the principal doesn't get lost. That's important to anybody, but especially important to those of us who are caregivers or parents to those with special needs. Okay, you've whetted our appetite. Um, so we need to talk nitty gritty here because obviously, I mean, you're just so wonderful and oh, you're so you. nice and you're so approachable. Um, and I always think, you know, people talk about not wanting to go to the dentist. I, I think of that when talking with financial people because I'm 100% sure they're going to tell me to do something that I either can't do or mm -hmm. I'm afraid to do or I'm afraid to even hear what it is for yeah. fear of the fact. But I, you seem like someone that I could actually talk to Thank and you. be honest with. So, and I'm sure that everybody else is feeling that way too. 
So if we wanted to use you and Brian mm -hmm. as financial people, how do we reach out to you guys? How do we go about that? Can you only deal with people in California or can you take people in other states? How does all of that work? How well, would they get a hold of you? We can work with people in other states. Okay. It doesn't matter. There's no limitation on you know, where you might be. Okay. Uh, and the best way to reach us is at we are just two dads TWO at gmail.com. Again, that's we are just two dads at gmail.com. And I know we're short on time, but the other areas that you should be looking at, and these are all things that we cover. So we talked about the uh, income protection in the form of life insurance, short right. and long-term savings. The next thing is then debt elimination. So we help people with whether it's credit card debt, student loans, or, uh, or tax debt. Okay. Yeah. And then the next thing on top of that is then um, estate planning. We work with a law firm, one of the largest estate planning firms in the country, that will work on a flat fee basis. In other words, the way that most law firms work, they're billable hours. If you call to ask a question, that call took 20 minutes, my fee is blah, blah, blah. Right. None of that takes place. It's a flat fee. Okay. There's no cost for the consultation. So you know up front exactly what you're dealing with. And the same thing occurs with us. When we sit down with someone, we don't do any business on a first appointment if we do business. Okay. We don't charge for the time. So that's the other thing the industry does. You not only work in a um, captive environment, you charge a fee for the time also. Right. We believe in building relationships. And like you said, you know, if you know, thank you for the kind things you said about yeah. the manner in which I communicate. It's simply what I want. And what I would give to anyone, especially if you're not working with us, is if you have a fear of having the discussion, if you have the dentist approach, as you mentioned, yeah. you know, make sure that you ask what it is that you want to know yeah. as pointed and, and blank and as simple as possible and make sure that you understand the answer that's being given to you before you do anything. And if you feel like the person you're working with, if they give you the impression that you're asking too many questions, oh. don't ask any more questions and just go in the other direction. Because if you're if you're a novice to it all, you're talking about you're talking about your money. Yeah. So you should be able to ask as many questions as you know as possible. I'm just going to warn you. I'm going to need to hug you later, um, <laughs> because this is a thing that bugs me in everything. Mm -hmm. I, do you know how many times I get told uh, a week that I ask too many questions, and I especially hate it in when it has to do with me or or anybody in my family. We we, we get told this all the time in the medical yeah. realm. Yeah. Oh yeah. My doctor. Do you know how many times my doctor tells me I ask too many questions, and I'm like, <sighs> listen, you're 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 not paying your doctor's salary. I, right? Yes. But you chose the doctor, yeah, right? The doctor is, in a sense, to an extent, working for you. So whether a person is like, whether it's financial advisor, doctor, lawyer, yeah. those titles don't give someone any impunity, like, over you, so to speak. Yeah. You ask questions. And questions are more powerful than statements anyway. Well, I would like to meet the alternate you that's a doctor as well. <laughs> so that, um, because, yes, no, this is the problem that I have. Everybody, nobody wants to answer questions anymore. Yeah. Like, you're asking too many questions. Really? Um, this is what I do for a living. I ask questions. Well, uh, <laughs> th that makes me think of one thing. The one thing we're doing, as long as we've been doing the podcast, we don't have a website. But it's, it is really, truly, finally under construction. And one okay. of the things that we're going to have at the, at the site is a list of everyone that has been on the show that provides a service of any kind uh -huh. and how people can reach out to them because the show was created to shine a light on those that serve the special needs community in any way, shape, or form. But we've now broadened that to anybody that's inspirational in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. So when it comes to, like, for instance, um, my son's dentist, yeah. who is the epitome of patience, which is oh, twice yeah. as important when you're talking about sensory issues, we try to promote her, anybody else that provides any service of any kind. So there's people like that out there yeah. that exist. Most of us just don't know. Yes, I, and we have to talk them up. Mm -hmm. um, but let's say that you do, we're, we've got all in the notes on the show, um, we've got all of their social stuff. We've got their Facebook, uh, your Instagram. You are on TikTok, mm -hmm. which good for you. You and Dr. <laughs> Doreen, I, I like to throw my hands up. Um, you're on LinkedIn. Uh, and you are on YouTube. So really amazing stuff that you guys are doing. And I, you know, I, I've been able to tune into several of your shows and I really love what you guys are doing. You keep it real. You keep it honest. And I love when you have the guests and you spotlight. They've had Dr. Doreen on. And I think you've also had Nancy Allspot Jackson. Yes. Who I do Let's Talk Autism with Shannon mm -hmm. and Nancy. Nancy's amazing. Uh, Nancy is amazing. But, um, but I also kind of love it when it's just the two of you. That means a lot to us because we don't know because when we do that, we're kind of like, 
I don't know if anybody wants to see just us, but you know, because no, I kind of, I kind of dig that, and I loved you guys did a thing about being emotionally honest and open, and mm-hmm. I was, I'll, I'll tune in and listen to that all the time. Listen to two <laughs> dads you. talking about their feelings. Are you kidding me? Thank you. Uh, absolutely amazing, good stuff. Um, so the podcast is just two dads, mm-hmm. and you uh, is there a specific time? I know you guys do it weekly, but is there a specific time that it right is now on the, we're live on Facebook on Facebook Live every Wednesday from eleven a.m. to noon Pacific, okay. and we're considering no. And, and so we were every Wednesday from eleven to noon, uh-huh. and then. Within 24 hours, the episodes are uploaded to most podcast platforms. Right. Um, WSTX AM radio in the U.S. Virgin Islands, and then uh, the YouTube channel. But we've been thinking about giving heavy consideration to no longer going live, uh-huh. so that we're able to record um, more episodes in a you know in a in a short yeah. period of time. The other thing that we're getting ready to do, we've gone back and forth about um, a, a men's group because Brian and I belonged to a men's group that we were that we were part of, and we we're thinking of the idea of doing that specifically uh, for special needs dads. Yeah. But we've also gone back and forth on like, we want to make sure that, you know, that there's a return on investment in terms of our time and that we're really adding value to people. So we created a survey, gotten to, I've made a couple of posts about it and people have said, Oh, that'd be great. I'd like to tell my husband or my uncle or so-and-so what we're going to do with probably within the next week is have the parameters in place and just open a registration of some sort and meet once a month yeah. virtually and probably do like three months or something and see how that goes. Yeah. And based on the level of participation, we'll determine whether or not we continue to do that. And I'll be honest, when I heard men's group before, I, would, I had this vision of guys sitting around a campfire Having a beard growing contest, like literally seeing, I can push my beard out five inches further than yours. <laughs> I am more grizzly than you are. No, I am more grizzly than you. And I just, that's not me. I don't kill my yeah. food. And, yeah. but, Good for you. But again, that's a narrow-minded approach. <laughs> so we figured if we, you know, again, as men, society doesn't tell us that it's okay yeah. to at least say, you know what, I, I'm afraid of that. How might I deal with that? And so what happens is not only do men not comfortably express it but you don't have any, any control or over expressing whatever you really really feel yeah. is going to come out right so if you don't have a say in how it comes out it comes out in terms of maybe verbal abuse mm-hmm. um other forms uh, it comes out in terms of just fear and it also comes out in a minimal sense so a person is then so much less than they could ever really fully be, and then the world misses out on who that person could be. You know, they said that the greatest songs, the greatest ideas, thoughts, and everything are found in one place, the cemetery. cemetery. Right, yeah. because most people die with their songs inside of them. Yeah. So in addition to men just being frustrated and not expressing where they're afraid, some of them are just, you know, we're just okay when we could be great. The idea to, about having a group is where people can raise their hand and say where they're afraid and just like, okay, you're, you're not alone. And then maybe someone has the nerve just because somebody listened to him for a couple minutes mm-hmm. to go be as great as they can be. It's not that we have all the answers or anything like that because the one thing that's so great about this day and age that we live in right now is that there's so many avenues for a person to say, you know what, I don't have it all figured out, but I have something to say and let me tell you what I've learned so far. If there's anything that you learned that I haven't, tell me and let's go tell the world. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's what we sit here and do because I don't have it all figured out. Mm-hmm. Um, amazing. Well, you're amazing. Thank you. As uh, are you. And I'm sorry <laughs> that we didn't get to have Brian here, but it was so nice to get to have this time with you. And next time we'll have, we'll have Brian and maybe even Dr. Grand Pichet, and then That we'll, would be great. And then we'll really tear the joint up. <laughs> um, anyway, so you guys have got to check out Just Two Dads. Um, and then if you're like me and you need a whole lot of help financially, maybe it's time to have the conversation. <laughs> maybe it's time to stop uh, sticking our heads in the sand and have the conversation. And who better to have it with than two dads who get it, who, who really understand it and have this wonderful outlook uh, on finances. I love it. All right. We, we're out of time, but I have to say that tomorrow we are live with Dr. Grand Pichet. And so, especially for the one person who wrote in, uh, gotcha, I'm going to save this question for her tomorrow. We're going to talk more about that. I'm also saying hi to Joanne. I'm sorry that it didn't go your way yesterday, uh, in Philadelphia. 
Um, I heard it was tragic. I didn't watch. Um, but I'm sorry it didn't go your way. But I loved how uh, stoic you were about it on Facebook. All right. Um, so we'll be back tomorrow live with Dr. Grampy Shea. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you, too. Bye-bye for now. Thank you so much. If you found anything helpful in this video, please give us a like. In fact, make sure that you smash that subscribe button on YouTube and give us a like on Facebook. You can also follow us on Twitter and on Instagram for important updates. And please download our free podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much. See you next time. This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer.